0: September 17, 2021, it's a what for Pedro show. Like. Piedra Show, Happy Friday. Started a show with Love Supreme Part 2 Resolution. Breakdown, I guess. Clams in the studio. Even John Coltrane, Blue Clam, or somebody in the band did. Which is amazing, right? McCoy Tyner, Jimmy Garrison, Elvin Jones. Whoa. Vernal Pool after that with "Fucking in the Grove.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: You can t- tell, people, I'm not man alone because of those... Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, I got <laughs> Dan Boucher. How you doing, Dan? Welcome aboard.
1: Thanks, Mike. Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing awesome. And uh, thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be on the show. So uh, how are you doing?
0: Let's give a big uh, thank you to Alec for the connect.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks and love to Alec always.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And what time are you talking to me from?
1: I uh, I am right now in Glendale, Arizona. Okay. Uh, so I recently moved back to the desert uh, after being in Providence, Rhode Island, for a decade. So yeah, so we're uh, we're state neighbors right now.
0: Yeah, because Alec was t- telling me about that Providence stuff. Uh, yeah, right, right. Uh, but let's go way back with you on uh, the beginning of your musical journey. Dan, please bring your earliest musical recollection.
1: I will. I think, uh, okay. So the earliest musical recollection I can say from a band standpoint is I've thought about this a lot over the years. And I remember having a seven inch, uh, or when I was a kid, we called them 45s in the late, uh, seventies. Um, and I think one of my favorite songs ever that really stuck out to me was hello goodbye by the Beatles. Um, so i'm i really lucked out as a child because i'm the youngest of five children and my oldest siblings are 14 and 15 years older than me so in the late 70s there was just always awesome music in my house you know uh my sisters like you know they loved like fleetwood mac and cheap trick you know like all all the good stuff back then uh so when i was a little kid um you know, I'd safe to say like a lot of people of the time, maybe my childhood was a little, little turbulent back then. So I really clung to music and my sisters having a turntable and just a slew of records in their room. Um, I would always go in there and just listen to, you know, like, like things like kiss blew me away. Uh, I mean, you know, as a little kid, just like, I would just study those record covers and like just everything about it blew me away. Um, so my oldest sister, Denise, or my second oldest sister, Denise, took notice of this. And she bought me a drum kit, like a little toy drum kit when I was three years old for Christmas, um, just after I turned three. And that was a really definitive point in my life because I think I destroyed that little drum kit within a couple of days. Uh, and I just knew that that is what I wanted to do. And... Right around that time, maybe within the next year or two years, I remember I was sitting on the floor of my living room, and this was in uh, this was in Mission Viejo, California. So the first seven years, um, you know, we were in Southern California, and I remember I don't know what program it was, whether it was like American Bandstand or one of those music shows at the time. They had Blondie on, and I remember they just kept showing close-ups of Clem Burke playing drums, and I was just like that fucking dude is so cool. That's, I want to, I want to be him. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so I was introduced to music at a really, really early age. And uh, that, you know, I would say even from there, you know, that it's just been a major, like, or the major guiding force in my life.
0: So that's quite a memory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, besides that drum set, was there any other instruments in the pad in Mission Viejo?
1: There wasn't. No, Uh, my family's very artistic. All of my sisters are painters and sculptors and artists, Uh, but there's no other really there's no other musicians in my family. My grandmother played mandolin um, a little bit, but it was never really talked about all that much. Um, So I'm not What
0: about school. Dan, were you in the choir or the marching band or shit like that?
1: I wasn't nothing. No, nope. okay. there it I just, wasn't really I just available. Asked
0: because some, you know, some schools got rid of their programs and stuff like that. So, w- what about uh, another drum set after you destroyed the Kitty one?
1: Yeah. So it became a thing that pretty much every Christmas I would get a Kitty drum kit. I had a Muppets drum kit at one point that was really awesome. It had Animal on the snare drum um and then you know i kind of that went on for a while also uh what i used to do in our garage in mission viejo is i would take my dad's fishing buckets flip them upside down and i found a like a a a tire like a bicycle tire rim that i put on one of them and that was my symbol and for drumsticks like i don't know if if this will trigger a memory for anyone but (laughs) my parents used to have these pants hangers that basically had these cardboard um, – they were like metal with cardboard that you would hang pants on. So I'd take the metal parts off, and I would use those as drumsticks. Uh, so I, I did a lot of, like, improvising when I was a little kid, I guess. And then when I was 14, uh, I had – you know, my my family had moved back to Massachusetts at that time. And in Massachusetts, you you can be 14 and have a job after school – for like the hours between three and six legally so i worked for my oldest sister michelle and i saved up and probably it was like maybe three bucks at the time i got my first drum kit at 14 which was this piece of fucking cosmic percussion kit but i like i basically lived in my basement between the ages of like 14 and 19 and just, just play drums. And that's when, you know, that's when I really started to take it seriously and really started to learn, you know, I would listen to songs and try to learn songs. Yeah, I was going to ask you
0: about how did you learn? Did you take lessons or like George Hurley, teach yourself by listening to records and try to play along?
1: Yeah, I, I went the, I went the George method. Yeah, definitely. I, I've never really had a music lesson in my life until just until really just the past couple of years um i had a cool situation where i worked with a lot of um boston musicians like more like studied musicians and picked up some stuff from them and then uh you know my friend john uh Colpitz, who also goes by the name kid millions who's a drummer for uh oneida a band out of new york who's fucking incredible um i've been taking some lessons with him like some tuning lessons and whatnot but yeah for the most part i'm pretty much self-taught um on all of the instruments i play
0: you know, uh, I didn't ask you about first record you bought. You said it was uh, you collected forty fives.
1: Yeah, I had. Um, so the remember when I was a kid, my sister, my sister Denise, the one who bought me the drum set. She was always in trouble, man. She was always like on, you know, she was always grounded or whatnot. So to get out of the house, she would take me to this place called the Record Shack and must have been in Mission Viejo i can't quite remember but um i one one thing that always comes to mind like a lot of those memories i mean it's 43 years ago now so some of them are kind of cloudy but i remember um a couple of queen records and like i loved queen but like just some of their record covers i would buy them like you know uh w- is it sheer heart attack that has like the robot with them dead in their in 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 his hand like was so cool so i remember those early records um and well with yeah i think money, like
0: you know when you're a kid you only got a lot of money like you had to work all that to get the drum set money up and that's why i asked about that what about first gig you saw dan
1: the first gig i saw oh man i was sort of late to the gig game but i guess like the first there were some but like the first one that really took that like really made a big impression was on me was i saw the cure on the disintegration tour and like that was like you know as far as bigger shows like you know i, I was really new to it then but that like seeing that really kind of really kind of blew my mind um okay. and then yeah, you, you gave me this little sexer yeah
0: here suit. i want to play this okay cool <laughs>
2: Easier to hear it once and replay it until dark. Attempting to be innocent of breaking every heart. And now I only need to know one thing Can you live without me? 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 Darling, you breathe easiest when the rhythm moves you on. Can you live without me? Can you live without me?
3: We try to
2: really teach ourselves that love is only free, wishing for each one to find their own burning, lonely star. And when we look up up so high, we carve out the missing piece. But she is waiting down below, and I cannot hear her speak. Can you live without me? Oh, can you live without me? Can you live without me? Can you live without me? Can you live without Baby, I know you're healing But I can turn it back Can you live without me? Can you live without me?
0: Pedro Show started that chunk of music off with Lil Saxer, with her uh, suit then Vanishing, brand new from Vanishing 55 degrees north, 5 degrees east uh, B. with Can You Live Without Me Vile Creature Paper Doll Bill, Na- uh, Bill Nace with the part 6 of 8 of his piece bo- Both Say it right, what? Brand new from Vermes do Atlantico. Bombs Prendon with Anthema Briefa mm-hmm. <laughs> Graf out of the Netherlands was come. And finally, some more little sexer with the best of the only. And you say this stuff was uh, just come out, but it was recorded, what, 25, 21, 20, no, 25 yeah, years 20- ago.
1: 25 years ago yeah so uh little sexer was uh not my first band by any means but it was my first band that i ever really like felt like holy shit we're doing something like we were playing gigs and we were playing uh you know recording records and whatnot um so that is a that is a band we were a two-piece i did with like one of my you know lifelong buddies david waterhouse um well if that wasn't your
0: first band what was your first band
1: uh let's see i think my first band was a band called the mothmen that i did with my uh my sister's then boyfriend where you know we kind of never really got off the ground um we started to write some songs but you know i was like i was really young then i was like maybe like 16 15 or something like that um so i had a bunch of other like you know high school bands that we did like you know, mostly just like covers. Um, you know, I had a buddy I went to high school with who was like at the time he's just like a huge Metallica fan. Um, I couldn't play those drum parts uh, then, so you know, like we'd we do that. But like, you know, Little Sexer was the first band where I, you know, we we started writing our own songs, and you know, we like it became a real thing because we would spend so much time in the rehearsal space and you know like you know weed and wine do whatever like we would sleep there and then get up and go to our jobs um but it felt like i was really accomplishing something you know like it really it pushed me out of my comfort zone to get out of like an area of like let's say hey let's hang out and jam to oh shit we got to structure this out and make songs you you know remember
0: can you remember the first little sexier gig
1: I can. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it was it was absolutely terrifying. So the first gig we played was in David's Loft in East Boston, Massachusetts, and we had a bunch of had a bunch of people show up. It was really cool. I was terrified. I think I was like nineteen um, and then uh, there was a band in Boston called Six l six you know after the after the tubes and I really loved them. They were kind of like a Boston hardcore band, and their bass player Ted Condo, was working down the street from where I worked at this coffee shop and I saw him one day, and I was like, oh shit you 're in that band like I was like you know kind of like nervous to talk to him and the next time I went in, I brought our demo. And he was like, hey, man, I really dug your demo. Do you want to open for us? And we were like, fuck, sure. So our first real show was at, at this this club called O'Brien's in Alston, Massachusetts. And, you know, I like I was really terrified because they were kind of a big band at the time. Um, and it was, you know, it was kind of a great show because I like I. I felt like I was going to puke before we went on. But once we started playing, it just it completely went away. And it seemed like I don't even remember the gig. I just remember the very last cymbal hit where I hit my cymbals. I actually broke the cymbal stand and ended up in my lap. And I was like, it sort of like woke me out of this, like, I guess, like weird lucid state I was in. Um, But it was great. That was a good that was a good first introduction to kind of like playing live.
0: Now, uh, you said you recorded a demo He. Heard a demo? Did you do that in your practice, Pat?
1: Uh, no. We actually went to a recording studio. It was recorded by the same engineer that uh, recorded Hair Suit and Best of the Only. Uh, and but we did it at a different studio. It was more. It was more sort of like. Oh, and then um, you know, we just kind of like back in those days, you know, in the mid to late nineties, that's what you did. You made a demo tape. You actually sent out press kits. You know, you you remember, you know the deal, um. So, yeah, so we made like we made a demo with the intent it was just going to be a demo and not really kind of do anything with it. And then we actually went to, um, uh, you know, like a more fancy studio with a two inch uh, 16 track tape machine. And that's when we kind of like re-recorded everything to, you know, with the intent of doing an album. Um, And the reason that stuff took so long to come out is, you know, we did. We did a whole record's worth of stuff, and then the band kind of imploded you know we were we were younger and we were kind of like i guess crazy um you know drugs all kinds of like crazy shit back in the day when you're young um And we just kind of, you know, we just kind of like we've always kept in touch and always stayed like good friends. But we kind of just went our separate ways and on to other projects and whatnot, but always really, really loved it. And it's always been a, you know, like a, a thing for us to finally get it finished. So one good thing about the pandemic was we actually were able to just sit down and finish it and, uh in about a month I'm actually so my bandmate he lives in in Colorado now so I'm going up there and we're actually we're going to play a show our first show in 21 years and uh and finish some of the other recordings
0: now by this point you got a better drum set right
1: oh oh hell yeah yeah so I I've, I've gone through yeah I've gone through many many over the years and um and yeah my but the second drum kit I ever bought was a set of like Pearl Session Elites And I still,
0: that's, uh, Peter Chris.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I still, yeah, I still have, I still have many of those shells, like some, some, I don't know, got lost over the years, you know, I think maybe I've probably had that for about 26 years or something. So yeah, I tend to hang on to stuff though. (laughs) A little harden. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you never
0: know. You never know when it's gonna come in handy. You know, like twenty-five-year-old exactly. uh, recordings. Sometimes, yeah, exactly. You know, it just that's the way it works out. It had to be.
1: Some things yeah. just
0: happen really quick. Some things, yeah, they got it, like kind of ferment, right? Exactly. Uh, now, you were involved with the composition, right?
1: Yeah. Um all of the bands I've ever played in have all had like a very democratic writing process where we just, you know, show up and, and write our own parts. Um, So yeah. And then also in little sexer uh, I played bass a lot of times and David would switch off and play drums and we were a two piece and we were a two piece, like, like, you know, I'm not trying to sound like, you know, trailblazer, but um, before it became like a popular thing, And really the only reason we were was just because nobody wanted to play with us, you know, like we were we were kind of uncool, Um, but it was great in a way where like it definitely forced me out of my comfort zone and forced me to like I also like, you know, I love bass. I love guitar. I play clarinet synthesizer, all that kind of shit. And um You know, just like natural uh, interest and love of music sort of draws me to all kinds of stuff. But that was that was also really liberating at that time was since my my focus mainly was drums, then was, you know, just like playing bass. I was like, oh, shit, this is really fun, too. You know, I had no fucking clue what I was doing, but uh, it was it was really fun. Well, as a composing tool. Drums or bass?
0: Both. Both. Okay. so you do write music. On drum, you know, there was a big issue with Chico Hamilton. He couldn't get a, so- a credit for songwriting because, yeah, drummers can't write songs. It's just ridiculous.
1: It is. It, I always thought that was really weird. I mean, you know, like, I think it, it's weird when you see it, always bothered me when you see songwriting credits. And like you know, I don't think you know. Let's say like fucking Paul McCartney or whatever like wrote out the drum parts for Beatles songs. You know, I, I always I, I've always been like, who was ever in that room making their parts is a writer of the song. You know, like uh, it's I always thought that was weird that drummers kind of get the snub there, but you know.
0: Yeah, he, he, of, reading Mister Mingus's book, Beneath Thunderdog, great bass man, but he didn't compose on the bass. Composed on the piano.
1: Oh, I was. I think I'd heard that. Yeah, I think I knew that. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's I a, guess almost that, like bass and drums,
0: N- not only is there hierarchy on the stage, but in the writing room too.
1: Yeah. I mean, that probably explains a little bit about like his interesting approach to the bass. You know what I mean? Like, that's. Yeah, I didn't. get yeah, yeah,
0: that's, I've always that's pretty felt, cool to think about. Uh, I've always felt like. Wild ass Duke Ellington things he was trying to do, you know, take big bands, totally. right? Yeah, yeah, Free yeah. Amazing. That's yeah, cool. That 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 epitaph thing that came out after he passed. We lost him. You know, it was really interesting.
1: Uh, we're yeah. at the end of the first
0: hour, September seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Dish Watt Pedro show special guest Dan Boucher. Hold tight for hour two. September seventeenth, twenty twenty one. It's the second hour. what for Pedro show. Pedro Show, start off the second hour. Lay feeling with the young and the fretless. Yeah. Right. We're not talking about the bass. Right. That's why uh, <laughs> Mr. Leo Fender called it precision because it had frets. Right? Because the uh, Did not. Uh, yeah. Ba- regular basses were like giant violins without a chin part. Lucas Abella. Right, right, that, right. Yeah. Lucas Abella with Renault, part one of two. Big piece, and he, he just came out with some new stuff. We'll play in the future. I love his stuff. How Sydney, young sexy assassins with bad king sex Fuhrer. So enlighten us about those projects.
1: Uh, I'll I'll start with the young sexy assassins because that was like a little bit older. Um, that might possibly be like my the my favorite one of my favorite bands I've ever played in. So that was um. That kind of arose, uh, you know, I guess somewhat early on when I started playing with Neptune. And uh, there was a band um, who we're going to talk about a little later uh, in Boston called The Grand Island, who are one of my favorite bands ever. They were just so incredible. And Justin, their bass player, is I think you'd appreciate the tone that he he got. I just never heard anything like the way he plays, just like so pummeling and just such a like purely evil, awesome sound. Um, you know, I'd kind of always like wanted to be in a band with him. And, uh, so at the time it was like three members of Neptune, uh, my friends, Mark Pearson and John Manson, and then, uh, Justin Stratman from the Grand Island and our friend Duncan was playing, uh, keyboards and we all just got together with, you know, we didn't have any set vision of what the band was going to be other than like everybody was going to bring something completely different to it. And I really love how that band turned out. I think like that was some of the most free I've ever felt playing music. Uh, we really just, we really just, you know, like we really gelled together really well. Um, and performatively, it was a really fun band because John Manson, uh, who was a singer and he did like drum machines and whatnot, he would always sit behind a desk and he he looked like a like an angry sports commentator. So he would sit behind a desk and rifle through papers. And, uh, you know, we used to say that the band was maximalist desk rock. Um, so that was, that was, that was an awesome project. And we, we, I don't know, we were lasted for maybe three or four years, but playing in that band was so fun. It was just like, really like, it just kind of had this like insane sort of ferocity to it. Like that's how it felt when I was playing anyways. Um, So that was, that was really fun. Uh, and our, our friend Dave Utzinger later took over on keyboards and then lay feeling is something that's a more recent project, uh, that I started with my, my, my dear friend, Tom Roach. Um, and Tom, uh, he, he played in a, in a, in a really well-loved Minneapolis bass band called lifter puller, I think back starting back in the nineties. Um, and so he and I were both, uh, we were both You know, like kind of I I would always say like rock and roll casualties. You know, we'd spend tons of years like touring and whatnot. And the the you know, without getting like too tangential, but um, the way we met, we had met in passing and Neptune was going to Europe on our first ever European tour. And the tour for family reasons ended up getting canceled five days in. Um, but I ended up staying in Paris. Tom was writing his dissertation um in Paris and we ended so I just said, Hey, can I stay with you for the next month? So stayed in Paris and we just ended up becoming, you know, like lifelong buddies. Um and there was this like shitty, terrible gay bar down the street from where he lived called Lay Feeling. And we just thought that was so fucking funny. Like, I don't know, like, you know, we used to sing. Remember the Boston song, More Than a Feeling? We would sing like, more than lay feeling. So, you know, many years later when it came time to name our band, we were just like, obviously it's going to be lay feeling. So, um, so, yeah. So the the idea of that band is um, I really wanted to not play drums for a while. And Tom also was like, you know, he's like, I want to play bass, but I want to kind of explore some new stuff. And, you know, for most of my musical life, I, you know, I was I, I played like really I just love abrasive rock music. And, you know, in recent years, I've been getting more into, you know, I l- listen to like a lot of William bazinski and, you know, like uh, Andrew Chalk, like a lot of like really mellow stuff. So we we decided to take a more. Mellow approach, and you know, wanted to do like sort of like long format. Still, like really, you know, trying to be, I guess, difficult in some ways, but also incorporate, you know, like melody in in interesting ways and 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 rhythms, but like rhythms that one of the first songs we composed, Tom was writing a like a, a drum part, and. You know, we were like, we weren't really happy with it. And then we were like trying different things out. And then we came up with the idea of like, what if it sounds like just throwing one drum down a down a flight of stairs? And that's what we ended up basing the song around. So um, so there's been a lot of um, experimentation and it's a lot mellower, I guess, than other bands that I've played in. There's a lot of like serenity to it. Um, but. Another thing in that band is I didn't I really didn't want to be a band that is just like, you know, two dudes twiddling knobs because who wants to watch that? Um, So our dear friend Mark Pearson, who is my Young Sexy Assassins and Neptune bandmate, um, he we asked him, we were like, hey, would you just sit in on a rehearsal and let us know if we're like the most fucking boring thing you've ever seen? And he was like, I really like the music, but you should you know, what if you like think of some kind of visuals? So what we started doing is like our the kind of theme of our band is we started live soundtracking radical queer and feminist film. So <clears throat> a lot of films like, you know, um, you know, Pimbalati Wrist and Kenneth Anger and Derek Jarman and all that stuff. So that that kind of that also really informed how we how we wrote songs. Um, so. So, yeah, so that's that's been that's been a really like highlight of my musical journey i would say in the past couple of years
0: dan speaking of neptune i'm gonna play some neptune you gave me sweet Pedro, show that chunk of music. Start off with Neptune, the Lighthouse, then Totale from the uh, Italian part of Switzerland, Isolde, If Bowana, Al uh, Margolis out of Chester, New York, Dress Me Down, Conquest for Death, Blood Sport of the Gods, <laughs> and then finally Neptune again with Chandelier of Leaves. Lightness, uh, you know, hear a little about Neptune got a couple minutes All right. left in this hour. Inform us, please, Brother Dan.
1: All right, cool. I'll, I'll try to keep it concise, which is not my strong point usually. <laughs> uh, Neptune is like a very much an artistic love of my life. Uh, it was uh, – the band was founded by my dear friend Jason Sanford, and he was a sculpture student um, and performance art major. So he decided – he was like, well, I like guitar. What if I start making my own? So he started making these welded guitars out of metal that are really haphazard. And, you know, the frets are, you know, oftentimes like filed down nails. And the early um, the early versions of these guitars were like really untunable and haphazard. And I mean, these these instruments have drawn blood from all of us uh and the cool thing about Neptune is i was a big fan of the band before i joined um they needed a percussionist and they asked me if i if i would be interested and i was just like fuck yes i would be so interested so um first show with them was like about 21 almost 22 years ago actually and uh it was it was really great and you know at the end of that show i thought i was going to be like you know just a one and done thing but i said to jason i was like I'm, i I want to be in this band. I love this. I want to do it. So we really, uh, we really kind of, you know, that's that's all we did. We did like a solid. When you know, my tenure in the band um, was, you know, we just we toured solidly for ten years, and I think in ten years we did twenty-two releases. Um, but the evolution of the instruments that Jason and Mark would make um went into you know electronics and synthesizers so a lot of the a lot of the synthesizers look like you know like well honestly most of the shit was like probably bought at home depot so they're all like light switches and everything um and you know the the writing process in that band was so awesome because again we'd all get together in a room and like you know flesh out ideas or whatever and then sometimes like if there was a mistake we would go back and try to write these mistakes into into the music It, it was it was it was really fun so in one of our press kits we said uh mark you know put this line that the band sometimes sounds like mistake day at the ball bearing factory um which is very true but yeah so the you know the because of the nature of the instruments, there's it, it just always sounds like really kind of like off and strange <laughs> and, you know, like, I guess I guess otherworldly. So, um, yeah,
0: that's not a bad thing. Look, we're at the end. No, the, that's
1: what I love about it. We're at the yeah. end of the
0: second hour. September 17, 2021 edition. Watt P. special guest, Dan Boucher, Boucher, sorry. Hold tight for hour three. September 17, I'm... 2021. It's the third hour of the walk from Pedro show. <laughs>
4: Him the oh, then, in the years of the primal thought, oh, the Lord of the Rescues, both men lost of the malecum port. Man was the Lord of the Earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of an holy tree. He cut the earth therein. Man was the Lord of the Sea. He controlled the vigorous steam. He harnessed the light over hire. He drove the celestial team. And man was the Lord of the Fire. Deep mouth from their mouths, deep seated. The choirs of the eons
5: declare the last of the demons defeated.
0: The Show start off the third hour with Golden Shores. Man was the lord of the fire. Then the Grand Island. Now this, from your label, you got some releases here. You'll tell us about after you get done here. But Baby 84 from the Grand Island. You were talking about them earlier. Stuffed Spider with Armored Train. Nick Sadler with Wrong Heart. Infrastructure Rot. Dementia Test. And finally, Reversible Light. Locker Room. Tell us about your label. Tell us about these uh,
1: releases. Yeah, this is um, this has been kind of a, a love of my life uh, that, you know, I selfishly started this label in 2005 in order to release some of the even weirder material that Neptune was working on. Um, and it's just something I always thought about doing. So, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of it was to release music of bands that I was playing on. And I always thought that that was, you know, that was just like really like weirdly selfish of me. Um, so I've always wanted to like, you know, do some other stuff with other bands. So that's something like I started to do like in, uh, you know, in, in the past, like, I guess like five, 10 years or whatever, um and it really saved me during the pandemic because i think in 2000 no in 2020 i planned on doing five releases and uh it ended up becoming 17 that year and it was great because i just i love working with other musicians i love like it keeps me in touch with friends and like i really do like i love like weird fucking music and that's what i want to do and you know i think the the our you know whatever you call it mission statement or whatever you say about the label is uh uneasily digestible musics on near obsolete formats. I think that, that sort of sums it up pretty well. Um, so for the things you played and that's upcoming is um, the Grand Island, which again, they were a Boston band uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. They were just like fucking incredible. It was bass drums, guitar, and electric piano. And all four of the members sang. And watching them perform was like, it was almost like being in like uh like an interact interactive like boxing match with the band. It was it was brutal, but they just they had such a cool sound. They were so unique, um, and they were just like criminally underseen. So. You know I've been friends with those guys, and so re- so coming up I think uh, it's October is we're doing a full release of their back catalog, which is astounding. They recorded some incredible music, uh, so it's all been re- remastered. That's coming out. Um, Stuffed Spider is my friend Matt Parrish, who was in a really well loved uh, Boston band called Hoag in the 2000s, and he's doing some really really awesome stuff. That that song Armored Train, I like I just love. Um, and he did a record last year, which was great. He's working on some new ones that are coming out, uh, or later this year. And then infrastructure rot is, uh, my buddies, um, Sean, Brent and Joe and Joe, the drummer is, uh, he's all, he's front. he lives in Taipei now and he's in a band called Zerpins with Paul Lai, who you had on the show, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, last um, was it, when was it? Last week. Oh, it was last week. Paul oh, okay. Was great.
0: Yeah. Paul was great. Maybe, uh, I'll get to play with him over there. I would love to. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. To and you, guys. you should, you should, you should definitely play with Joe too. He's an, he's just incredible. Like, it, I mean, very dedicated. They're, all those guys are like super dedicated, just like, so they're, um, you know, uh, they're, they're like, you know, sort of really out there jazz, but it's, they're, they're fucking great. They're, they were like my favorite band in Providence. um, and then Nick Sadler, uh, is another friend of mine. He's, uh, he plays in the band daughters and, uh, he's been working on this stuff. These, these recordings he did that are just this like really dark electronic, um, sometimes pummeling stuff. I really love it. It's really, you know, it's like, it's eerie, it's creepy. And, um, you know i, I feel it, it it kind of like it it's very representative of nick himself um so that we're working on that's coming out um but there's a lot of other things uh, coming up that we have planned for well, the what label about,
0: what about reversible light and golden shores
1: so golden shores uh is a band of a, a band of you know a bunch of weirdos where we did that was more like you know like kind of like found sound uh, weird stuff. So Sean, who plays in infrastructure rot is also a member of that band. Um, we have a new record coming out, which, uh, we recorded, uh, recorded a while ago, but we've been slowly working on it over the years. That's coming out within the next couple of months. And then, uh, reversible light is my project with Alec Redfern. So we, Alec and I have been playing together. We did a band called say you love Satan. Um, During the pandemic. Uh, And so Reversible Light, we just got together at a studio called Machines with Magnets in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and our good friend Seth Manchester recorded. Uh, It's just basically we did, you know, 15 minute takes and we recorded it. It's just drums and um, and, you know, modular synths. And we did it to two inch tape and we really like, you know, kind of pushed the tape. So that stuff, we're we're currently mixing it. I think in about like two weeks we're gonna mix the record and that uh, that's gonna be coming out in, in the next few months. So um so yeah, so there's a lot planned for, for the label, and that's kind of I wanna of really make that
0: Dan, um Dan, the name of the yeah.
1: label. Wrong Hole archival bureau?
0: Okay. Yeah, just gotta let people know,
1: and it has a website, yeah. right? Yeah, it does. Um, well, Bandcamp is where um, is where we do all of our stuff. So yeah, yeah. if you just go to Bandcamp and look up Wronghole Archival Bureau, it has all the artists on it. Um, you know, and yeah, the, I the play some more uh,
0: Le like Feeling.
1: That okay, you can- cool.
0: What for, Pete Rochelle, last music for this edition. Shadow is the queen of color from lay Feeling. then Ray Shin Zips, and finally Golden Shores, Adrift from Hope. Now, what do you want to tell the people about your label?
1: So, last thing about the label is, uh, it's called Wrong Hole Archival Bureau, and that's W-R-N-G-W-H-O-L-E, Archival Bureau, W-W-A-B. Um... So, yeah, that uh, the last Golden Shores Adrift from Hope is from our new record that's coming out in the next couple of months. Um, but, yeah, people should be evil, should be pretty uh, like it, it should be fairly easy to find the Wrong Hole Archival Bureau on Bandcamp and listen to all of the artists there.
0: And uh, so you're busy with the label, you're busy getting out old stuff, but are you doing stuff right? Well, I guess with Alec, with Reversible Light, right? Is that the most contemporary thing?
1: That is uh, my most contemporary thing. But yeah, um, so I've been talking a lot with Jason from Neptune, who is also in Colorado. And he's, uh, you know, we've been talking about doing some new stuff with, you know, Mark and our friend Kevin Micah. Also, um, we're planning on, uh, you know, Jason's building some new, like, really weird atonal instruments that aren't necessarily in tune with one another, but have a relationship <laughs> to one another which excites me uh, beyond belief. So we're talking about doing that. And then... um, Does
0: he have a website where he shows all
1: his uh, instruments
0: and stuff? Because he he sounds like a kind of Harry Parch type of cat.
1: Definitely, definitely. And... um, you know, I have a I have a bass guitar here that's the body of it is made out of an old uh, Betamax metal VHS case. So um, you can find the band at neptuneband.com. com. I think now it's Neptune bandcom Band com. Also, uh, Neptune is it's Neptune Band on uh, Bandcamp, and you can find that through the Wrong Hole Archival Bureau page. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pictures of the instruments and. Um, During my tenure of the band, I've had a couple rounds of stitches. Uh, I've had an eyeball glued shut. Um, Yeah, they're they're definitely – they're something else. They're dangerous to play. Yeah, they're dangerous for sure. (laughs) shit. A little –
0: right? Buyer beware kind of thing. Exactly. uh, exactly. you, You say it's worth it, though, because the band is pushing boundaries.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, I I mean, I can't like overstate how much, uh, how much like it's really been like a love of my life kind of project. And that is what I loved about it before I joined the band was, you know, they're always pushing boundaries and, you know, they're always like, there's always such a performative element to the band. Um, So, yeah, but like, you know, before I joined the band, just watching them, just looking at these like fucking crazy, it always it it would always get like, you know, likenings to like Mad Max. But yeah, watching this like crazy Mad Max band was always really appealing to me. Um, And when I first started playing in the band, I played what they called a saw blade xylophone. And it was just like this huge metal rack with circular saw blades on it, which, you know, if you hit them, they're beautiful. There's like beautiful tones. But I have scars up and down my arms from that. I had yeah five uh, five stitches and a oh, knuckle um, from you know bashing the shit out of it once. So well,
0: as you guys get back together, you got to be safe, Dan. Please.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're we're, we're big... getting too old for that injury shit.
0: Not too old, less younger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Look, big honor to have you on. Thanks so much. Keep on, keeping on with you, what you're doing and helping other bands. That's a that's a beautiful thing that Music Cat can do for another.
1: Yeah, it's still, it's, uh, I so love much. it. I love it. It's great. And so yeah, thank you so much for having me on, man. It was it a total honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay, people, it's been September
0: 17, 2021 edition. The
1: waffle for Pedro Show. Give your power drive.